Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, guys, so this week we did a pretty interesting podcast about MGTOW, <laughs> men going uh, good without women or something like that. Anyway, basically a men's rights activist online cult. And I got a chance to interview somebody who's been investigating this for a very long time, over a year. And we talked about the growth of and propagation and beliefs and, uh, you know, leaderless. Uh, are there leaders? Are there not leaders? I mean, how does all this work, right? How do these internet cults uh, sort out? And so I uh, had an interesting discussion about that. I hope you'll check that podcast out if you are at all interested in cults and online cults and the progression and evolution of said cults. Uh, okay. And then, of course, our big news is our Critical Conversation show is now moved to Friday nights. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, boom, 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 Chris Shelton content. Actually, you're getting content from me seven days a week, if you didn't know, through my Critical Clips channel also. I am posting clips Monday through Friday uh, from my earlier content. I'm just kind of chronologically going through and pulling out answers to questions or uh, little bits of things that we discussed in our podcast that I thought were useful or helpful, and, um, and of course, from my other videos, and those are going out as little short clips from, you know, two five-minute videos to 15, 20-minute videos in a few rare cases, and uh, that is available on my Critical Clips channel, okay? So there is a link to that below, as well as links to my book, Amazon site, merch store, etc. There's all kinds of things to be find fascinating, interesting interesting things you can get involved with here on my channel. All right, guys, so now let's go ahead and get on with your questions for this week. James Hacker, how do OT8s practice Scientology? What are they supposed to do when they reach the top of the bridge and there are no more courses to take? Just keep auditing for the rest of their lives? Thanks for the question, James. And actually, it's the other way around. You asked, uh, you know, are they supposed to keep doing courses for the rest of their, or are they supposed to keep auditing because there's no more courses to take? It's actually the other way around. There are tons of courses and classes that, that OT8s can take and get trained in Scientology uh, because they can't get a whole lot more auditing. Now, it's not true that there is no more auditing they can do, though. So let's take a look at somebody who gets to the top of Scientology's bridge as it currently stands. Now, according to the materials of the Church of Scientology, there are levels, confidential levels of, of spiritual awareness and ability to be had all the way up to OT, or Operating Thetan, level 15. Okay, OT stands for Operating Thetan. So, and an Operating Thetan, of course, is a spiritual entity who is operating, who knows what he's doing, is a cause over his existence and life, and the OT levels are supposed to produce that. So, OT8 is about halfway up the line, and that's as far as you can go in Scientology, and it costs, you know, well over, probably for your average Scientologist, certainly no less than 750000 to a million, probably more. Um, by the time they have gotten to that level. 
because uh, it's not just a matter in Scientology of strictly paying just for the services that you're doing, but there's so many other opportunities for them to extract money from you, and they take advantage of every single one of those opportunities. So you're probably going to be given over a lot more money than just for the auditing hours or the classwork that you're doing. All right, so let's say you get to the top. You don't have any more Scientology bridge steps to do until they release the next levels. What you're told at that level and at all levels of Scientology, what people are told is that the reason OT8 is the highest level is because the planet is in shape, is in such bad shape that it's not ready for OT9 and 10 and that we, Scientology, collectively has to make certain things happen in the real world in order to make the world a safe place for OT9 and 10 to be released. Now, this goes all the way back to the mid early 90s, I remember, they were, they were starting to, to, to talk about this stuff, because OT8 was released in 1988, if I remember right, and that is, um, and so this was just a few years after there had been, you know, a few hundred, maybe a thousand people who had gotten up through OT8 at that point, and um, they were like, hey, what, what's next? What do we do? What are we supposed to do? What's, what's going on? You know, how do we keep going? What, are we, what about 9 and 10 and the rest of the OT levels? And they were told, hey, man, no, you got to get trained as an auditor. You have to be a highly trained auditor. And then they were told all the organizations in the world, all the Scientology churches need to be raised up to St. Hill size, meaning they have to be viable. They have to be big, expansive, growing organizations, not these little pipsqueak folding chair, crooked table operations with ratty carpet that have 20 people showing up. That's not the image of Scientology that is acceptable anymore. And so Miscavige kind of started putting down the line that we needed to grow these orgs. And by the 2000s, he had come up with the ideal org strategy, which I'm telling you all this because it fits into the answer to this question, because the OT8s were basically given the responsibility in the 2000s when the ideal org strategy came out, that they were the ones who were supposed to basically make it happen. They needed to exert their OT muscles in order to get the money together to buy the new buildings and get them then get the money together to renovate those buildings. And they were supposed to do this for their local org area because every OT8 came from somewhere. And you can't do OT8 at your local city-level Scientology church. You have to go to the ship to do it. And you can't do the OT levels at all at your local organization. You have to go to an advanced organization in Los Angeles or uh, St. Hill or Sydney, Australia or Copenhagen or the big one in Clearwater, Florida. So you have to travel to one of those places to do the OT levels. And you, to get to the top of the OT levels, eventually all roads lead to flag and then to the ship for OT8. So you are told, though, that your responsibility as an OT8 is to now go back to your local org. Maybe you come from Detroit or Denver, and your job is to get that place ideal. And this was the big game of the 2000s, is let's get these orgs up to ideal. And OT committees were sort of activated, and the local OTs were kind of given targets and jobs. And right from Miscavige on the ship, he said to them, you guys are the ones who are going to make this happen. 
you know, the Sea Org can push and pull and, and order and, and yell and scream. But if you guys aren't there making these orgs make it and taking responsibility for your local org, then we're not going to make, we're not going to pull this off. And you guys need to be part of the solution to this problem. You can't just sit on the sidelines. You can't just be idle OTs. That's not an OT. An OT is somebody who's operating, who's cause, who's making things happen. So this this was sort of put to them as their test. Even it wasn't it wasn't couched in those exact words, but the concept was sort of there. This is you guys need to make this happen, and so this is why so many top level Scientologists got really on board, really in everybody's business. This is where some of the Facebook police come from, by the way. I mean, these, some of these OTs get very busy, busy, busybody about you know helping their local area, quote unquote. But the main thing they were supposed to do was fundraise. All right. And that should, of course, tell you, goes all the way back to my basic premise of Scientology, that it is a money-making scam disguised as a religion, disguised as a self-help group, right? So it really always comes back to the money. And they want those OTAs out there not just giving money themselves, you understand. They want them out there procuring money talking at fundraisers, going out and doing sales, you know, jobs, basically, fundraising activities to get the org to buy the new building that they need and then to get it renovated. And they were all given this task for their local area, and then some of them pulled it off. Some of them got their local org ideal. You know, you have Las Vegas, Twin Cities, LA Org, you know, all these different ideal organizations. Now what are they supposed to do? Because it's like, okay, well, we need all of them to get to this level in order to release the OT9 and 10. I mean, they think that Miscavige has it, that OT9 and 10 is a done deal, that it's sitting in a folder, ready to go. And they've even been told that there are Sea Org members who are trained on this material or are starting to get trained on this material. This comes and goes as messaging over the years. We see this come up every now and again, maybe about every five years or so. I mean, I'm guesstimating there, but about every five years or so, there's some sudden news about OT9 and 10, which really, after all the song and dance and smoke and mirrors really comes down to you guys need to make us more money. And you need to do that by getting these organizations all raised up to ideal status. So they think OT9 and 10 is are real and that Miscavige can't release them until these orgs get up to ideal and get up to St. Hill size. And um, that's basically what they're told. Now, as far as personally, they are also told that they need to train. They need to do auditor training. And there are other auditing actions that they can do, even as OT8s, that are lower on the bridge, but are not really on the bridge. They're sort of things you can do that are auditing actions that ha- that you can do anywhere on the bridge or almost anywhere on the bridge, such as uh, the false purpose rundown, going in and you know rooting out your evil intentions, as I've as I've gone over in detail when I talked about the RPF. That kind of auditing, the the, the evil intention derooting, you could say, that's not just on the RPF. That people pay for that auditing. <laughs> I mean, we did it on each other in the RPF, but there are people who pay for that shit. So 
that is a kind of auditing you can get. You can also do the very, the most expensive auditing in Scientology. It is called the L Rundowns. L stands for list. There are three of them. There's L10, L11, and L12. These are only delivered at Flag in Florida. They cost like $10,000 per pot per 12 and a half hours of auditing. And um, you can go to Flag and do those. And those are supposed to supercharge you as a, as, a, as a being. They're supposed to like, you know, do all these wonderful things to you, including getting you into a permanent state of exterior from your body able to control your body while being exterior to it. Yeah, they actually do have that out there, but it's super expensive. Then you have the um, you have like a few other services. You have superpower. Uh, that's delivered in Florida as well in that great big building. And you have the cause resurgence rundown, which is running around a pole for hours at a time. People pay for that in Scientology. So there are these services that OTAs can also do, but mainly they are encouraged to train. They got to get indoctrinated even harder in L. Ron Hubbard's fantastical worldview and how to go about helping other people with Scientology auditing. Uh, so those are the things that OTAs basically are presented with. And that's the, there you go. I hope that answers your question. TJ Feeney, I'm genuinely interested in your opinion on whether the World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, could be considered cult-like. Yes, really. If you look into it, there are a number of issues which I believe show they fit this mold. One, their wrestlers are classed as independent contractors as opposed to staff. This way, they avoid proper pay scales, health insurance, and a host of other rights. This reminds me of the Sea Org being classed as religious staff. Two, loaded language. There are numerous written directions leaked online where staff have been told that they are subject to punishment if they use certain words. For example, the championship belt is called a title, not a belt. The fans are called the WWE Universe and not the fans. People who break this enforced language rule will be held accountable. Three, wrestlers are not allowed to have a third-party app presence, which makes money such as Twitch and Cameo. They are being told by the company that the company owns the rights to the wrestlers' real names, even though they're independent contractors. This, despite being contractually forbidden to wrestle anywhere else. Four, staffer paid a tiny portion of revenue, as in well, well below all other sporting organizations. The bulk of the income goes directly into the pocket of Vince McMahon and his family, just like Hubbard. Five, many die young due to the extreme toll this life takes on their bodies. They're constantly traveling to shows, all at their own expense, and are often only home for a day or two per week. Despite all this, they are frequently told they should be grateful for the opportunity. Six, disconnection. If you leave the company and speak negatively of them, Vince McMahon will not allow current wrestlers to speak of the people gone. They will essentially erase them from company history, too, by omitting them from video packages or refusing to acknowledge their participation in historical moments. There are many more examples, but I was curious about your thoughts. Okay, TJ, thank you for this question. And this highlights a real difficulty in being able to suss out or assess different groups and their, you know, where they might lie on, let's say, a cultish spectrum or a spectrum of, a, of influence or authority or control. 
So, um, so it's, it's rough because as I've said before in the past, like with the military, you can find groups that are involved in behavior that could be questionable, objectionable under certain contexts, and yet necessary for the kind of work that's being done, like in the military, let's say, where you got to break people down and get them into a compliance mode of thinking because you need them to follow orders. That is the way the military is structured. And, um, you know, if we want to change that, we can, but that's, that's just how the military is. And given the circumstances that the military gets involved in and the amount of training necessary and the work and the danger and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there are, you know, very many good arguments to be made for why something like boot camp is actually necessary and important and not just something optional or abusive that we do just because we don't have anything better to do with new recruits, you know. So, you know, context really matters in all of this. Now, you presented a number of points as to how the WWE fits against a cult model, uh, especially the one that I have been utilizing most, uh, which was put together by Yanya Lalich and Michael Angioni. Um, and of course, we also have Lifton with the loaded language. And, you know, you have instances or examples here in your question of um, efforts at milieu control, at, of course, that the language, at, uh, you know, what we don't have here in this is a sacred science or a mystical manipulation. We don't have a whole lot of that going on here. You know, the WWE is a company and it has a product. And it is a money-making operation, and it's not pretending to be anything else but that. And that's actually where we get to a point of crucial importance when we're evaluating these mechanisms of control in a group, whether it's a cult or not. And this has to do with um, deceit, disinformation, um, you know, propaganda, indoctrination. It has to do with informed consent. Going into the Church of Scientology any day of the week, anywhere in the world, they are going to lie to you about who they are, what they do, what they're about, how much it's going to cost you to do it, what their actual beliefs are, whether disconnection is real or not, what their ethics system consists of, how their justice system works. All of these things are things that they will not give you a straight answer on by design. They know they can't. They can't tell you the truth about any of those things because if they do, you're going to turn right around and walk out the door because you're going to see that this is a controlling authoritarian group that doesn't have your best interests at heart. This is an important point as far as I'm concerned in determining whether a group is cultish or not, is this point of deception. The WWE, as far as I know, and this is, I have a very limited understanding of this. I have the, the information from your question that you're presenting to me, and I have the knowledge I have from, you know, documentaries and, and over the years, things I've seen with the wrestling world. You know, this is not a world I'm interested in being part of, and I wouldn't particularly endorse it for anybody else, because the points you make are good points as far as how it is rather authoritarian. And McMahon has chosen to run this organization this way, and he, of course, profits from it, and he has, he sort of holds the keys to the kingdom, and that's he's the gatekeeper. So if you want to be in that world, you have to play by his rules. Is that right? Probably not. You know, is it morally fair? No. You know, is there an even playing field? No. 
are there contractual stipulations that really shouldn't, you know, from a from a point of view of fairness and and workload and opportunity are, you know, should those things be there? No. But here's the thing. You know all of it going in or you can be told. Now, where if there is a curtain or layer here of deception, uh, you, you didn't particularly address it in your question. You didn't bring that up in your question. And um, and I've not seen outside other evidence that there is some deceptive practice going on here. In the same way that, you know, you might have certain individuals in these groups who start spouting off with lies and exaggerations and hyperbole and selling, you know, selling people on it. That can happen. But is it dogmatic to do that? You know, does Vince McMahon demand that everybody connected with WWE lie when they're bringing new meat on board, right? New people, you know, into the into the stable. Are they lying to them? Well, I, I can't tell from the information you're giving me. And as far as I know, they don't. So if you're going into a situation with fully informed consent, like, okay, let me give you another example that might might help demonstrate my point is, is uh, monks. You know, if you're going to go be a monk, uh, like a Catholic monk, you're going to actually go do that. You want to live a life of solitude and servitude and, and um, asceticism. And, you know, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm always getting words wrong. But, uh, you know, you want to live this, uh, this, this life of this meager, humble monk. Well, they're not going to just let you in. You know, you got you to gotta actually prove to them that this is something you want to do and that you are fully dedicated to it. Um, you know, with the, with the uh, Amish, you have, uh, I know I'm going to mispronounce this one, the Ramspring, the, the, the thing they do where when you get to 17 or 18 years old, they kick you out for a year. It's like, go, go live in the world, go see what it's like. You know, and if you want to live this Amish lifestyle, then come back to us. And of course, you know, these kids are a little ill prepared for that. But the point I'm making is that it is a, it, you know what the situation is. You're given the opportunity to go away from it, or you've always got the opportunity to walk away from it. Nobody's forcing you to be there. And um, and if you come back into the Amish community, then they rightfully assume you understand this lifestyle, you understand our rules, you understand this is a tough life, we are not about com- creature comforts, and you're down. This is the life you want to have. And if that's the case, then you're not in a cult, because a cult exerts coercive control over its members, which means isolation, intimidation, and control. Um, and not a little bit. And there is deception, right? You you are always wrangled into these groups through lies uh, by being told it's one thing when in fact it's something else. Now, being given a song and dance about opportunity is one thing. Being lied to straight up is another. And I'm sure you can find examples of this both done well and done badly in the world of the WWE, we can always find anecdotes of some individual or a group of individuals over a time period who have been deceived, you know, who have been abused, who have had bad things happen to them that they didn't want and didn't sign on for. That can happen anywhere at any time in any group. 
and it doesn't necessarily mean that the group is a cult. So, um, you know, specialized language is part of any group. Every single group has individual words. It's not the fact that they have their own language. Is is the language loaded? Is there are there are there twists of meaning there that are actually screwing with you psychologically? There's a little bit more to it than just having a specialized language. It's manipulative. The language itself can become part of the manipulation package of the cult. You see, so uh, you know we have to talk about these things in sort of broad terms because context is where the details you know, sort of emerge and where judgment can then take place. And um, and we have to get very, very specific about the details of these groups before we start calling them destructive cults. Any of these groups are cults. They have a culture to them. The WWE definitely has its own culture. And it is a cult by definition if you look it up in a dictionary. But of course, I'm answering you from the position of, is it a destructive cult? And I do not believe that it is in the same way I don't believe the military is and I don't believe any corporation is. I don't believe Hollywood is as a group. And you could easily describe Hollywood in all of these terms. I could make this exact same argument for movie stars in Hollywood and whether they're part of some destructive cult because of the abuses and the financial shenanigans and the and the advantage that is taken and the lies that are told and all of that. Same, same, right? But is it a destructive cult? No, it's really not. But it is a culture, and that culture has ups and downs, good points and bad points. There are tremendous individual rewards that can be gotten as a WWE member. You know, you can rise on up and you can rise right out of that world and move on to a better world. I mean, look at the the success of The Rock, for example. You know, yeah, it's rare. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, There's a lot of luck connected with it in the same way that Hollywood is all about luck, not talent. Yeah, you got to bring the talent, but it's not talent alone that's going to get you on the screen. There are tons and tons of very talented people who are never going to make it because they don't hit that lucky break. Same in the WWE. You can dedicate your life to it, and the truth of the matter is, in a world like that, you better love the work, because it's often thankless work, and you might not actually get anything for it except the satisfaction of what you're doing and that you enjoy doing it. Kind of similar to being a YouTube creator as far as that goes, you know. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I think I'm I think I'm getting to a point here, and that point is that you have groups that can look like a cult, but you gotta dig into the details and suss out intent and deception and look at things from you know as why and how and why are these tools of control being utilized and are they being utilized in a way that is actually unusual different from what we see in the normal course of our society you know are we talking about something actually much worse on the scale or are we talking about something that might just be pushing a few boundaries in an uncomfortable and even sometimes abusive way, okay? This is no effort to give anybody a pass for bad behavior. Um, But judging a group is a different thing from judging individuals in that group over time. 
And that's, I think, part of the distinction of this. So that's kind of my initial take on that. If there's more information you want to give about it or, you know, enlighten me further about that or something, I'm wide open to, to hearing anything more that you have to say about it. But that's kind of where I come down on it. And let me know what you think. Hey, everyone. I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to you about a service that I am endorsing and that I truly, truly believe in. And that service is called BetterHelp. H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. And they are available through BetterHelp.com. And this is a service that connects you with a licensed professional counselor online so you can get help with depression, anxiety, stress, or just somebody to talk to in this very, basically, very troubled times that we're living in right now. It is not easy to get out there in the big wide world right now. It is not easy to get out and see therapists or counselors. It is not easy to find counselors or therapists who can help you. And this is what BetterHelp was designed to assist you with. The simplicity of this is you go to the site, you sign up, actually you use the link <laughs> that I have provided below, uh, which is betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton, and you get signed up, and this can be for as little as $40 a week, and they actually even have uh, financial aid available. You enter some information, fill out a questionnaire about yourself, and you get hooked up with a counselor that will help you out. And this can be via text, via voice, or via a video, okay? Any one of those. It's up to you and your comfort level. And if the therapist that you get connected with isn't doing the job that you feel you need, you can ask for and get a different counselor. So there are a lot of options for you in this, and it is really something that I think a lot of my viewers should be taking advantage of. I have talked often about the need for or the help that you can get through professional counseling. Sometimes you need somebody who really does know what they're doing and not just a friend or family member to listen. And that's why this service is something that I am happy to put out there for you guys. So again, use the link below, betterhelp.com slash Chris Shelton. That is in the description to this video. And I hope that you um, can get the help that you might need from this service. Let me know how it goes. Jason John Valhays, do you think LRH was onto something that maybe, if it were created now, could be something legitimate? Could this cult or his following actually make this religion work? Okay, thanks for the question. Um, sure. I mean, Scientology, I've done videos in the past about how if you took away the OT levels, all the confidential crap, if you took away OSA, the Office of Special Affairs, all the fair gaming, all the legal nonsense, the, the stalking, the harassment, you took all that away. And if you, if you sort of reduced some of the nonsensical hyperbolic claims that Hubbard made about how it's a science, how it's universally applicable, how all this information applies equally to everybody, no matter who they are, under what circumstances – you know, that kind of thing. Like, for example, this idea that every single accident, injury, illness is always a PTS condition. I mean, that kind of nonsense doesn't help anybody. 
And there are lots and lots of cases where, you know, people get sick or have accidents or get uh, ill or, or not doing well in life that has nothing to do with some suppressive person in their space, you know. So this kind of thing doesn't, it doesn't really help at all. But the fact of the matter is that if you took all that stuff away, it wouldn't really be Scientology anymore. So, you know, did Hubbard have individual ideas or glom onto ideas or combine other people's ideas in such a way as to make something that could have been constructive or useful? Yeah, sure. Of course, you know, some of that stuff that's in Scientology can help people a lot. But, um, there's so, as I've, as I've t- tried to stress many times before in, in addressing questions like this, the, the balance is so far off. The bad is so much worse than the good that's potentially there that you don't want any part of any of it, you know, especially in, in its current incarnation as the Church of Scientology. It was developed out of occult practices in order to glorify and aggrandize one man. That's what Scientology, Dianetics and Scientology, started out as. And it never really went beyond that, you know, sort of purpose or mission statement, so to speak. And and it was really just Hubbard doubling down and doubling down and doubling down over and over and over again on those same tired, bullshit claims, you know, and then he died. And then someone else who saw that he could rule the roost took over and actually made it worse. And that's Scientology, you know. Could it have been made better? Sure, but it could not have been made something really useful without getting rid of so much stuff that, like I said, it really wouldn't be Scientology anymore. So, um, you know, so that's kind of what I have to say about that. I hope that answers your question for you. Debbie M., In the early 2000s, I worked for a chiropractor who decided to grow his practice by hiring a practice management firm. Is there any way to find out which practice management firms are or were actually Scientology-based? Hey, thanks for the question, Debbie. Yes, it's actually very easy. You simply have to ask the people who are pushing the program whether this is Hubbard-based administrative technology or whether this is something to do with L. Ron Hubbard, or is this the Hubbard management system? There's a few, you know, special phrases, but really all you have to ask is, where did this come from? And the materials that are provided by the World Institute of Scientology Enterprises, or WISE, um, which is the front group for Scientology's business sector stuff, um, including management consulting, that group... Hubbard's name is all over their materials, right? It's not like they're trying to deny that this is the Hubbard management system. That's what they call it. So they'll tell you straight up if this is L. Ron Hubbard. They'll tell you it's not Scientology. And from a certain point of view, they're not lying. But, you know, really the material itself is drawn right out of Scientology's materials and simply edited for a secular form or format. So that's that's the wise or the business stuff. And it really, I mean, really, at the end of the day, it is Scientology retooled. I don't mean to to give them too much credit where it's not due. But, um, but they're not 
you you might not know right away whether you're dealing with a Hubbard system or not, but just ask enough questions. And after two or three questions of that nature, you'll get to the truth of it. Um, even if the person who is um, putting this there, the, the business consultant, even if they're a little, yeah, I don't know if I want to get into that or not, if you simply say, well, look, what is this system? Who who came up with this? They'll tell you L. Ron Hubbard, you know, because they because it's right, like I said, it's right in the books. So anyway, there you go. Detached Insight. Did you hear about the canceled Australian Channel 7 documentary series, Scientology Black Ops, whose parts have been leaked on the internet? Do you have any information on why it was axed? and if the church had anything to do with it. One of the leaked Scientology Black Ops episodes suggested that the rape and sexual assault charges against Paul Haggis might be a scheme made by the church to disgrace him. How likely do you think it would be for the church to organize something as risky as fake rape charges? Yes, I have heard about this series. I have retweeted, I think, every episode uh, from Tony Ortega's blog on my Twitter account. I've definitely been keeping tabs on this. And, um, you know, in asking, it's sort of Occam's razor in terms of my belief as to how the show got axed or canceled. Uh, It was last minute. It was literally the day before it was supposed to air or same day they announced that they had canceled it or weren't going to show it. And, you know, the simplest explanation is usually the right one, given, you know, all the possible explanations you can look at. And in this case, it's pretty obvious that the Church of Scientology and Tom Cruise, apparently, or rumored, were personally involved in getting this show axed, because it's critical of Tom, it's critical of the way Scientology deals with celebrities, and, of course, it focuses on Paul Haggis, who has been charged or has been accused, rather, I should say, of um, of sexual assault, right, of rape. And, um, you know, so you, then you ask, how likely is it that the church would do that? Well, look at the church's past history. The church has driven, has tried to drive Paulette Cooper to suicide. They literally faked notes with her fingerprints that they had obtained illicitly from her in order to uh, have her do a bomb threat, a fake bomb threat, to, which they alerted the FBI about, to get her arrested and try to get her in a state of such panic and frenzy that she'd kill herself. That's the Church of Scientology. That's what they do. And that kind of those kind of operations didn't just stop in the 1970s after the Guardian's office fiasco. They just went undercover more, and they started doing it via proxies through private investigators and through lawyers and cutouts and things. But they still continued those same operations, and there really isn't any reason at all to believe that they're not still continuing to engage in those operations. If they perceive that somebody is a threat to them and it's a big enough problem to miscavige or somebody of Tom Cruise's stature— then they will spare no expense to go take that person out. Uh, they can't do anything anymore about the big wide world and the toxic view that the, that the world has of Scientology. That's, be, that's beyond their ability. But they can go after individuals according to L. Ron Hubbard's policies, and they are more than happy to do so if Miscavige orders it. And clearly with somebody of Paul Haggis's stature, whose name actually carries weight, in certain circles, you know, this is somebody people wanted to listen to. The entire New Yorker article was based on Paul Haggis's 
account. It was called The Apostate. And that eventually grew into the Going Clear documentary and book. So um, so Paul Haggis was a, it was somebody David Miscavige was personally, I'm sure, quite pissed at. And if, and if Hubbard's policies say ruin them utterly, and that is what Hubbard's policies say, then Miscavige is simply executing L. Ron Hubbard's intent by getting charges like this brought against him, which would ruin him utterly. And that is the whole point. So, you know, why if Scientology's existing dogma, existing policies right now, if I can go to a church of Scientology, open up one of their books, and that's what it says to do, then why would I give them any benefit of the doubt that they wouldn't do that? It's right there. They, they, they follow L. Ron Hubbard. So, of course, I'm going to think that Scientology would be more than happy to arrange false rape charges against somebody. And I absolutely believe that that's what they did to Paul Haggis. I, I personally believe that that is true. So that's my take on that. And, um, you know, the, the doing the deep dive on Scientology fair gaming and its black ops. I mean, this is this is the, the this is just the the what's the word? Uh the um the part of the iceberg you can see the tip of the iceberg right i mean there's so much more these guys are involved in that nobody has a clue about uh you know financial shenanigans criminal operations i mean look at how many scientologists keep ending up going to jail or getting in criminal trouble just over the last couple of years given the small tiny size of scientology and the you know and so the you know when you see I just think there's disproportion there is all. I'm, I was the point I'm trying to make. And, um, you know, and David Miscavige is not a good guy. And L. Ron Hubbard was not a good guy. And they've had millions stashed in places around the world. I mean, they got all kinds of financial shenanigans and other goofiness going on. So um, so that's why I say this, this kind of stuff is just, you know, th- them going after an individual completely sucks for that guy. I'm not trying to take away from that at all. I'm just saying that in the bigger picture, that's not even the worst stuff that Scientology's doing. You know, that's that's where I'm going with that. So anyway, I you know, it's Dylan Chatterton. When looking for you online, I found you have two separate websites that share the same information, mncriticalthinking.com and sensiblyspeaking.com. Why do you have two websites? Wouldn't it be better to merge them into one, or you just haven't gotten around to doing that? Uh, Dylan, those two websites have completely different content. They are not the same. MNCriticalThinking.com was the first website I set up, and I was posting all of my videos to it. And then I started a podcast, which had an audio-only component to it, because it was a podcast. So I posted it on Apple and Google Play and Stitcher and various uh, various platforms. So I separated that podcast as a website from the rest of my content. So the sensiblyspeaking.com website is the website that hosts my podcast. That's where I send it out on RSS feeds and, and send it out to Apple, etc. So that's the purpose of that podcast or of that website. My MN Critical Thinking website is for everything else I do. All the critical clips, all the video content I've ever put up 
it's all there, plus written articles that I've done. Um, they're also on that blog. So that's why the difference. And so the, um, you know, way after I started the Critical Q&A show, I turned it into a podcast also, and that's hosted on the mncriticalthinking.com website. But the, um, but the two websites have totally different content, and, um, and so that's why they are totally different websites. Jane Smith, what's one thing you miss and one thing you don't during your time in the Sea Org? Okay, one thing I miss from the Sea Org, um, sometimes, you know, I've talked often about the extreme, crazy, emergency, stressful environment of the Sea Org and how how crazy-making it can be. But I'll tell you, um, one thing I miss sometimes is the focus and the and the 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 the, the dedication of that activity, right? Um, and by that I mean sometimes in life, you know, I'm really happy, really happy to have learned to relax, to have learned to chill, to have learned to take a break. That it's okay to do that. That it's okay to have me time, right? I'm 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 really got that now. But sometimes I really want to dedicatedly focus and really work on stuff and because I'm choosing to be that way, right? And my environment doesn't always comply with me um, because my environment is not always used to that. And so I miss that sometimes uh, because then I get, you know, when I'm really in a roll, I'm really in the zone, I'm like focused, I'm doing my thing, and you know, the environment's not particularly backing me up and in, in being able to work that way or do that. So that that's the only that comes up only from time to time. It's not a big deal, but it's something that that I, I you know, he asked me the question, I thought about it, and I thought, yeah, I think that's I think that's something I miss sometimes. And um one thing I don't <laughs> Jesus one. Um I don't know the schedule, you know, the crazy ass schedule, just the the, the in, incredibly insane hours and being tired all the time. I don't miss being tired all the time. I really enjoy being rested. <laughs> Gary Page has the delivery of face-to-face TRs been badly affected by COVID protocols? Sitting three meters apart wearing masks would surely limit their effectiveness and scary bull baiting from across a room would be hard work. Okay, Gary, thank you for that question. I'm pretty sure that um, there's not a lot of TRs being done in orgs with masks on. Most Scientologists don't really, you know, buy into all that crap. But um, (laughs) what they call crap, I should be clear. I, I don't think it's crap. I think it's vital to wear masks. But even if you are, you know, sitting for two hours staring at somebody with or without a mask on shouldn't matter. And the bull baiting is, you know, yeah, you can't make certain facial expressions at somebody if you're wearing a mask, but you can still bull bait them. Most bull baiting involved not doing goofy things. It involved talking to the person and pushing their buttons. Push, 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 finding and pushing them. And that doesn't have anything to do with wearing a mask. Now, of course, um, the person who is wearing the mask would have to be honest if they crack up because you might not necessarily see it. But you see that when you're sitting across from somebody coaching them, you see everything. 
right? You see the little crinkle in their eyes. You see when their pupils dilate. You see their every muscle. And I mean, you, you're sitting across from them for a long time. And you learn an awful lot about somebody when you bull bait them. Uh, you do it enough, you start learning an awful lot about people in general, actually. It's, it's a fascinating thing. You know, it's not completely uh, without use or education, but, um, but boy, what a way to get it. Anyway, yeah, so, um, so I don't know. You know, I don't know ultimately if they are or are not doing TRs with masks on. But I do know that as a former course supervisor who got people through courses, if I had to get people through courses wearing masks, I could do it. So, you know, so to me, I look at the question and I go, yeah, I don't think it's really that big of an issue for them. Okay, and that's our show for this week. Thank you very much for your questions, guys. Thanks for inviting me into your home for this time so I could be here and um, you could listen to me, hopefully, in an enter- hopefully I've been entertaining, informative, and educational, and hopefully so much so that you will consider supporting this show through Patreon or through uh, one-offs through PayPal. I know times are tight right now. I know things are rough. I think better times are right around the corner. I, I want to think that that is true, and I hope that uh, you guys will join me in my maybe unwarranted optimism, but I that's, that's the that's the way where my head tends to go. So I hope things will be getting better soon. And I hope that um, politics will become boring again. And I hope that we find a vaccine soon and that we can get back to what we used to think of as normal. <laughs> um, but like I said, in the meantime, if you would like to support this show, it could very, very, very much be appreciated at this end. All right, guys, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.